Well, I do want to welcome again uh, to Dundonald Baptist Church. Uh, we have a, a topic tonight that we're going to look at together, and it's uh, the topic of, of faith. And um, I guess, uh, yeah, that this is a good uh, way to summarize it there on the screen. And we're, um, we're looking at the question of where faith belongs. Uh, it's a, is, is it uh, a private or a, or a personal uh, matter? Uh, is it something you need to keep to yourself? Or is it something that actually belongs in the, in the public sphere? Uh, let's, let's have a bit of an initial assessment, shall we? Uh, let's uh, hear both sides of the argument. Uh, some will say uh, it's, a, it's, it's a private matter. Um, it's a personal thing. Uh, I mean, it's no one else's business, your faith. Uh, you, you get more than a little annoyed uh, if you were overheard, uh, if you overheard the bank manager uh, discussing your debts uh, with, with someone uh, within your earshot uh, in the branch one day. I mean, it's It's personal. It's about, uh, it's about personal choice. Uh, I mean, how many, how many religions are there in the world today? Uh, thousands and thousands. Uh, there are nearly as many views of God and, and, and ways to him as there are people on the planet. When it comes to religion, uh, you pay your money and you make your choice. Uh, it's, it's up to you. Isn't that right? You want to follow Islam, you, you can follow Islam. Uh, you want to follow uh, uh, the Sikh guru Nanak, you, you can. You, you want to follow the Argentinian footballer Lionel Messi and call him God, it's up to you. You can do that. Uh, you enter the, the supermarket hall of world religions and you bring the package off the shelf and you go home with it. Or you go home with no religion at all, as seems to be common today. You keep it in the faith closet because it has no universal significance. I mean, how can it have? There, there's no grand narrative for us all. There's no overarching story, no universal tune that we all need to, to whistle along to. There are too many, too many options for that, surely. We've long since rejected that in our postmodern world. No, we're best to keep it to ourselves, aren't we? Keep ourselves to ourselves. It's a, it's a small, private matter for you based on, based on whatever gets you through. Surely no one has any right to impose their morals on, on anyone else? To tell them how to live? I mean, do they? Only the, only the arrogant would suggest that their way is the only way to God. Only the arrogant would suggest that their way is the only way to nirvana or heaven or happiness or utopia or whatever you want to call it. Isn't that right? I mean, at the thick end of, of imposing your way to live is, is forced conversion, another system of control on the masses. And we've, we've enough dictators in the world already. But yet, at the same time, there are plenty of people who display their faith in public. Plenty who call themselves Christians in public life, for example, in sport, in politics, on television. Uh, social media uh, has made many more people uh, public, uh, available to, to, to consume as public. And plenty share their faith on there. Plenty refer to their faith when they decide what policy to back. In politics, I mean, Theresa May, uh, she goes to church every Sunday uh, with her husband. We've seen it on television. Dan Walker uh, from the BBC says he, he doesn't work on Sundays because he's a Christian and that's a day for worship. Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, says his Christianity uh, is very real to him and has to show itself in his life. 
It seems that faith is too big a part of these people to make it anything but public. But this is, this is not a new thing. Uh, faith has been present in public life for millennia. Let me read um, with you from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, and it's going to come up on the screen, and we're going to read from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And it says this. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Man of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the arts and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among whom were also Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Paul arrives in Athens in Greece and, and when he gets there he, he's grieved, he's, he's deeply distressed because he sees that the city is full of idols. That's what we just read. Gods of every shape and form, of stone and, and, and metal and, and gold and silver. The full, the full uh, list of, of, of the Greek gods, uh, which it's famous for, of course, you know, like, like Zeus and Apollo and, and Hermes, Greek mythology. All on public display. 
I'm sure he's greatly impressed with the architecture and the creativity of, of the Greek minds, but he's bothered by all the idols. Paul speaks in the synagogue first. We're told that to the Jewish people there in Athens. But then, uh, in verse uh, 17, it tells us something very important about what we're considering tonight. It says, he reasoned in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul is a Christian. Now, he wasn't, wasn't always a Christian. Uh, before he was converted, before he believed, he, he thought uh, that he could earn his way to God by sticking to the rules. But one day, God opened his eyes to see that he wasn't good enough for that. To see that salvation was not by earning, as every other religious system in the world has ever said. No, it's not by earning, it's by gift. It's by receiving what is on offer from God because of what Jesus did. It's by receiving Jesus by faith, by trusting him alone, uh, the only one who, who lived the perfect life that Paul and any of us could not, and who died a death to pay for our sins. Why is Paul bothered in Athens? Well, notice that Paul doesn't think for a minute that he's just arrived in a new city and perhaps they have their own way to God. Uh, perhaps they have their own system here, maybe a better system in Athens. That people are following. No, he, he, it says he, he reasons with the Greek people. And he does it in public. He does it at the marketplace, right? <laughs> reasons, uh, that, that means that, 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 he's, that he knows there are, there, there are inconsistencies with, with their own system of belief. And, and he explains them to them. And he, and he presents the reasonableness of the, of the Christian message, the Christian gospel. That's what that means. Paul knows that what he brings to them in the public square is, is a completely different way. It, in fact, it's the only way. It's unique. And some of the philosophers, well, they, their ears prick up. They know it's new, uh, and, and they have this great desire, it says, for new things. They're, they're very interested in whatever's new and, 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 and unheard of before. And this results in Paul being given this opportunity uh, to, to, to stand up in the Areopagus uh, to speak. Now, that, the Areopagus is still with us today. Perhaps you've been in Athens on your holidays. I don't know, maybe you're going this summer. Uh, but you can go on a plane and you can go to Athens and you can stand up just where the Apostle Paul stood. Uh, it's, it's a great big rock uh, on a hill in the middle of Athens. It's right across from the Acropolis uh, where the Parthenon is. It's very famous the world over. And Paul is invited to, to take his place here. But remember, he's already, of his own volition, spoken out loud in the marketplace. The marketplace is as public as you get, right? That, that's the center of public life. That's like the, the center of trading, where the buying and the selling, it's the business district. And, and then he, after that, he takes his opportunity on the rock, uh, on the Areopagus, uh, because he wants as many as people as possible to hear. Because this faith, his faith, is a public matter. And the reason it's a public matter comes out in the next part of what we read. Verse 24 says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? He's saying we're all the same. We're all the same. There, there is one God who made everything and everyone. 
That there, there is God who is the creator who made everything and everyone and we were made by him and we were made for him. We're his, in other words. We're all the same. We're all created and we're all created to worship God who made us and, and that's why we're all worshippers. Paul told them that he could see that they were very religious in Athens. But I wonder, do you realize tonight that there's no such thing as a non-religious person? I hear this on the television. Yeah, me, I, I'm not religious, me. You know, I, I, yeah, but yeah, I believe in, 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 we should live and let live. And I hear this sort of thing on the television. But I want to tell you, there's no such thing as a non-religious person. For we're all the same. We're, we're all worshipping something. For it's the way we're wired. It's the way we're made. And many people worship on a Sunday at the Emirates or the SSE Arena or, or even at, the, at a leisure center gym. Uh, many people worship uh, themselves in this Instagram age. I don't know if you've noticed that. Vanity has, been, has never been more in vogue. Lots of people in the world follow traditional religions or some of the bigger religions. Makes no difference. There are plenty of, there are plenty of idols uh, that, that aren't made of stone and metal. Uh, and there always will be, for we're worshippers. That's what we are. We're made for God and, and to reflect him. The Bible says at the very beginning that when Adam and Eve were, were made, they were made in God's image. And we can still see that if we look in the right place. Because God is the creator, right? Uh, and so we are also creators. Many creators uh, in his image. Uh, we, we, we reflect what, what God is like. Uh, you can see that in art galleries. You can see that in incredible creativity and inventions. You can see that in, in, in music, in the wonderful creations of, of musicians, uh, Christian or not Christian. makes no difference. The gifts and the abilities of people are incredible in the arts. That's why even here, Paul can quote two Greek poets Verse 28 and 20, uh, verse 28, who are not actually Christians, uh, even in poetry, right, from those who do not know God, there is the odd slice of truth about him. A kind of deep awareness, image of God. Uh, and you have it too. You have it too. You, you, are, a, you are a creator in your work, uh, you, you bring order out of chaos. Uh, just like God did. Now, some, some of us face awful chaos. I don't know if you're a parent or something like that. But you bring order out of chaos, right? In your work, in some way. Uh, you believe in injustice. Where did you get that from? That, that's the image of God. We got that from God. Uh, you, you know in your conscience the difference between right and wrong. That's the image of God. And we're worshippers. You see, it's not that the Christian message... It's just another to add on to the list of many religions in our world. And that is arrogance uh, to claim that your way is the, is the right way or the only way. It's the fact that we were all made for God that makes us worshippers of him in the first place. But something happened. And, and as the story of the Bible unfolds, we get the right perspective on this. Because uh, through what happened when, um, when, when sin enters the world... When Eve eats uh, the, the fruit and, and Adam, he does too, and they disobey God. And this curse comes upon uh, the world, and, and this results in distortion, and, and, and the image of God is, 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 
is distorted in some way and a false expression of that truth then results in every other religion and faith that we see in the world today. You see, that desire to worship is still there. But the failure to do it in the right place is because of our sinful hearts. And that results in every other way that people choose to worship. Image of God is still there, but it's been defaced, it's been ruined. All other religions are that God-given desire to worship ended up in the wrong, with the wrong answer. We can see that as Paul wanders around Athens, checking out the sites. Finds this, he finds this altar, and it's, it's to an unknown God. That's what's written on it in an inscription. There's some deep sense that he is there, but they don't know who he is. He's unknown. A deep down realization that God exists, but no knowledge of him. And that is exactly why Paul is moved to respond. For he knows this God, and he can tell them of him. But it actually gets more serious as Paul moves on, as he, as he moves on, as he talks on. It's not just a matter of ignorance. Missing out on the truth. Oh, well, you missed out. Maybe they'll listen, maybe they'll not. No. In verse 30, we, we have one of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That, that means this is no small private matter. That, that means this is no personal choice. This is, this is actually universal because it's all people everywhere. You hear the language? We're all required to repent, to, to turn away from our way. That's Repenting is, is twofold. You turn away from your way of living and you turn to Christ or to God's way of living. Paul is not just to enjoy the fact that God is known to him now that he's a Christian, now that he's found Jesus. No, he wants others to know him too. In fact, he's under obligation from God's word to tell them. Let's move on to the real issues. There are two issues that this issue of where faith belongs is actually about in our modern day. The first one is offense trumps freedom. Offense trumps freedom. We're proud of our freedom in this country. Uh, the freedoms fought for on D-Day 75 years ago this week. Freedom of speech is a, is a bulwark of our, of our democracy. Uh, we call ourselves a free society. We, we pride ourselves in our right to peaceful protest, uh, the right to say what you want to say. And freedom of religion goes along with that. And No, I don't believe for a second in, in forcing someone uh, to convert uh, to any faith, even the one true faith of, of, of Christianity. No, no, I believe that, that, that church and state being combined is wrong and has never worked. Everyone has a right to believe what they want. It's right, absolutely. Now, that doesn't make them all true. Far from it. But a forced convert is no convert, for, for, for the heart is not in it. And, and, and God works in the heart. That's where he works. So we have these freedoms that we're very proud of. And so we should be. And Christians should tolerate other faiths, and, and our faith should be tolerated. That doesn't mean agree with, that means tolerate. That, that means allow to exist even when, we, even when we disagree. But there are conditions to these freedoms. We have a right uh, to protest, 
but it must be peaceful. Uh, we're not allowed to, to use violence. We have a right to, uh, um, to, to speak, but there are things that you cannot say and should not say because they do harm to others, like if you're to be racist or misogynistic or something like that, and, and we can't do harm to others. So those freedoms come with a, a sort of caveat. You know, you're allowed this, but there are certain things, when, when you start to do harm, then you can't have it anymore. And these days, causing offence is put in that harm category. That's where it's put. The harm category. It seems that, that, when, uh, that nobody cares until it gets offensive. So no one cares if it's, um, if it's a gentle Jesus in a manger, uh, if it gets the tells ringing at Christmas time, that's great. No one cares if it's a message of, of love and peace. No one cares if you, if you draw on your faith for the wider public good. Uh, no one cares when Liverpool's goalkeeper, Alisson, uh, displays a T-shirt uh, showing the cross and a heart at the Champions League final when they won the cup. But when it gets offensive, then it needs to be shut down. Social media is ending an increasing number of careers these days in the public eye. Israel Falau was an Australian rugby player that played for New South Wales Waratahs and the national team of Australia. He was embroiled in controversy when at Easter he posted a screenshot of a picture which said, Warning. Drunks, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, atheists, idolaters, hell awaits you. Repent, only Jesus saves. This was alongside a message which said, those who are living in sin will end up in hell unless you repent. Jesus Christ loves you and is giving you time to turn away from your sin and come to him. And a quotation after that from Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21 in the Bible. Now I want to say that tonight... I am not endorsing the doctrine or the position of any of the individuals I mention, except the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ. Okay? There are reports uh, from some quarters that Falau doesn't believe in the Trinity, that God is one God in three persons. If that's the case, he's not a Christian. He can't be. But he is considered in the media to be a fundamental Christian and certainly ignited this debate uh, a few months ago, and so we need to at least consider what he did and the backlash. Falau was sacked for this uh, Instagram post uh, by uh, Rugby Australia uh, for his views. Uh, he, he refused to retract it. He was asked to. He said he wouldn't. He refused to delete the post. Uh, Rugby Australia said its uh, inclusivity policy had been breached. We have uh, someone called Billy uh, Vinopola, uh, the English international rugby player who got in trouble with the RFU uh, for liking this post on Instagram. We have um, an Irish rugby player named Bundy Aki uh, rushing to say that he liked the post by accident, although we're not terribly sure we believe him. <laughs> you see, when people get offended, that's when we get to the nub of the matter. And yes, judgment offends people. Paul came up against it too. Uh, we saw this in Athens when Paul undercuts every other religion and way and says God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he appointed and of this he's given assurance by raising him from the dead. In other words, because Jesus rose from the dead, a historical 
relatively well-known fact, by the way. Any historian worth their salt accepts that, um, even non-Christians. Because he rose from the dead, according to Paul, that means that judgment is coming. That's his logic. And this offends some people, and they mock Paul in Athens. Resurrection, judgment, come on. That's what they do. And yes, people are offended by the prospect of judgment. They don't like to be held accountable to a heavenly being who who apparently made them. That's that's true. But what Falau really fell foul of was the offense of daring to include homosexuals on that list. Peter Linus, um, who writes for the Belfast Telegraph, he gets this. He said, I wouldn't have posted what Falau did. He missed a great opportunity at Easter to emphasize the forgiveness and hope found in the cross. But I wonder if Falau had just mentioned adulterers, drunkards, and atheists, would he have been in so much trouble? His sin seems to have been to challenge the current sexual orthodoxy. And I think he's got something of a point. No one reacted to any of the rest of it. They just saw one word on the page, along with the word hell, uh, they didn't even see the love of Jesus mentioned on the actual post. Uh, Vunapola, uh, who, who liked it and got into trouble with the English RFU, he took great steps to say that he was not perfect, that he was a sinner himself, uh, but, but no one noticed any of it. But I repeat what I said earlier. We are all the same. It's, it's a universal message. All sin results in judgment. We are sinners in our hearts. And that is what makes, that's what results in sin in our actions. Lying and cheating and stealing and lust and gossip and drunkenness and sleeping around and any sexual relationship outside of marriage of one man and one woman. And and the trouble with giving you a list like that is that invariably we miss something out. Some other thing, equally as sinful. Better to summarize. Better to summarize this as the Bible sees it. A heart issue. That simplifies this all. Not so much actions as state that results in actions. The root cause is is the heart. And we all have that problem for we are all the same. A deep problem of living for ourselves and ignoring and disobeying God in his world. That's what we're talking about. Paul's list of of sinners and sinful acts in Acts 17 includes all people. Listen to his list. God commands all people everywhere to repent. That's his list. It's the world that must repent and all the people living in it. That, That means you and me. Would I have posted something like this? No, I don't think so. You take a big risk with uh, text language at times. I wonder if you ever got in trouble over a text. Exclamation marks can be taken wrong. Capital letters and all the rest of it. I think he risked being taken up wrong. Please understand the rest of the list not on his list because it's all of us. It's a heart matter that includes all sinners and all expressions of that sinful heart that, that, that show themselves that shows themselves so many times in different ways. Is what he shared true? Yes. But it's not the whole story. 
Please hear the rest. The, the, the offer of salvation from God is for those who realize that they are in a desperately needy situation as not right before God, as sinful before him. Does what he said belong in the public realm? Yes, of course it does. Because freedom of speech must allow it. That's what that means. You can't have freedom of speech for one person and not for another just because it's offensive. I mean, you can be offended by anything. Although it does need care to prevent misunderstanding and some sort of special category of sinner being created which does not exist. Every culture in history has had its own offense to the gospel. To some cultures, it's been ridiculous that someone would reject the rest of the gods and just have to have Jesus as Lord. That's what the Romans thought. Uh, to some, it's offensive that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what the, the Muslims think. That's offensive to them. How could that be? How could Mary and God be involved in that way? That's what they hear. Son of God. It's not the case, but that's what they hear. To our culture, it's an offense to have a God who judges all of us and to say that you can't love and marry any person that you like. That's, that's, that's some of the, the places where it, where it's, where it grates, where, it, where, it, where, it, where it's offensive. Jesus is, is described as a rock of offense in 1 Peter chapter 2. And the preaching of the gospel is, is foolishness to those who don't believe, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The difficulty or, or even outright offense is no surprise. For the gospel is not like any other religion or way. It takes the feet out from under our self-confidence and self-effort to be right with God. It really does. This is a return to, to God's way and, and God's way of ordering the world. And we don't like it. We don't like it. Closely related to the issue of, of offense is moral authority. That's the second real issue that's in play in this, right? It's about moral authority. Christian medical doctor David Macareth was fired from his job after 26 years for saying that there are only two genders. He got fired for that. A position that barely 10 years ago was the only one that kept you from being labeled a lunatic, by the way. I'm not out to upset anyone, he said. I care deeply about transgender people, but we must be able to say what we think and defend what we believe in a non-combative way. Otherwise, we'll turn into a dictatorial state in which we are all enslaved. He's right, you know. He's frantically trying to care and not upset anyone, but he thinks his freedom of speech should be protected, and it should be, but he's offended someone, and he's broke the rules, and he feels the oppression of that. He sinned against the rule book, if you want to put it like that. This is just what Peter Linus said. To challenge this, the current orthodoxy on these matters is to sin, according to society. It's the same difficulty for politicians. So Tim Farron, who was the leader of the Liberal Democrats until a couple of years ago, claimed that it, that it had become too difficult for a Christian to exist in public life. Too difficult. People say that Christians have no right to impose their morals on everyone else. But in reality, it's actually, in reality, morals are imposed all the time. Just the same as, as everyone is religious, as I said, everyone has morals. And they're frequently enforced 
even when people lose their jobs. You see, it's, it's an enforcement of a moral position. For sinning against the rules. For breaking the rule book. It's just a question of who writes the rules. Who defines right and wrong. Who sets the bar. Who's in charge. And this is ultimately a clash of morals. We have the morals of today versus the morals of God in the Bible. And often they agree. Many times they agree. You know, you shouldn't murder. You shouldn't steal. Uh, but, but here they disagree. Who gets to say how many genders there are or who you can have a relationship with? It's always about who's in charge, isn't it? It's, it's, it's about who God is. Who is God? It's that big, is, it, is it that big a surprise that when our worshipping got corrupted and we ended up with all these other ways? Is it that big a surprise that suited our sexual ethic and view of gender? It got corrupted as well. Christians are, are simply appealing to a higher authority for their moral position. They're seeking to reflect him, God, in society, to live in accordance with what the Bible says and to promote that way of living. For that is what is best for society. Would it surprise you that the one who made this place knows what is best for it to work as it begins to fall apart around us? Would that surprise you? What makes the latest version of Western society or media trustworthy with their moral code? And they're being inconsistent, you know that? They're being inconsistent. Big clamor to, to welcome people out of the closet, yet they want to put Christians back into the same closet and kept, be kept away to keep them quiet, to call them extreme and dangerous, to, call, to use offense in harm categories when it shouldn't really be there. And that trumps freedom. Finally, we have the serious implications tonight. What are the implications of what you're saying? Well, for the Christian, this means that you have a, a universal, unique message to bring with you. We don't need to retreat to the corner to keep it quiet. We live out our faith. Uh, any real faith has to impact how you live. It has to. We must share the news. Uh, we, need others who have, uh, we need others who have been lied to to, to see the truth. Uh, we're, we're under God's instruction to do that. It's obligation. So our faith belongs out there. It cannot stay as a private matter. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's no such thing as a private faith unless you're going to stay indoors. And that makes it more difficult for us. For we have to frequently stick our head above the parapet more often as we seek to live for God in a world where, where God's morals are, are, are grating against the latest version of Western society's morals that have been imposed on all of us, by the way. Like a sister of uh, one of my wife's friends who, who had to leave her job uh, as a nurse in the UK mainland because she was being expected to perform surgery for abortions. It cost her her job. She had to make a decision. God's morals versus what we're told. And what about for the unreligious, the other religious, the couldn't care less, yes, if that's the word? The implications. The implications are that you need to think again. 
For it's more than a matter of personal preference. It's more than, than one more religion in a sea of religions. If this has universal implications. Faith belongs in public. For how can you keep something like that in a small box in the house? It's, it's just too big. Christianity is either the story of the whole world or it is nothing. Christianity is either the story of the whole world or it is nothing. Maybe with a small lifestyle change you could manage it, but not with this. Not when we're talking about a relationship with the living God. The God who made this world and sustains it, keeps it all together every moment by his powerful word. How, can you, how could you possibly keep that one to yourself? For there is one overarching story and one grand narrative. It's that, that our creator made us and, and made us in his own image. And, and, and that God commands all people everywhere to repent, to come back to him. Because we're his. We're his. To repent from our sins. To, to turn from living for our, from ourselves. To say, God, you know better than I do about right and wrong. And, and I trust your judgment. And, I, and I'm sorry for my sins. And, and save me. Please save me. To trust in the work of Jesus Christ who, who, who pays that, that debt. Who, 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 who brings us to God by faith, trusting in him. And he will save you. To trust Jesus Christ as the only way to be right with holy God is exactly what you need to hear. As Paul said there, God has overlooked ignorance in the past. He's not judged you before now. You're still walking and talking. He's given you more time. But the time is now. The time is tonight. It's time to make up your mind. You don't know how long you have. You may never get another opportunity. It's time to trust in Jesus. Does faith belong in private or public? I can't possibly see how you can keep a message like that private. We all need to hear it. And so I share it with you because I believe it needs to be public. Let's pray together, shall we?